0: The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society.
1: You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. It just passed the midday market on this June 17th, the day after June 16th, a public holiday that represents the struggle that uh, the youth were involved in for a uh, free South Africa. Uh, also celebrated this June 16th was Father's Day. So to those youthful fathers out there, um, happy Father's Day. And to the rest of the fathers and grandfathers that are listening, happy Father's Day. Today's a public holiday. So if you've tuned in today, thank you very much for tuning in on a public holiday. I hope you enjoy the show. Joining me just down studio. From Customer Fraud Solutions is Clive Gangadu, as well as Nick Corsi. But first, let's talk about the week that's passed. It would appear that uh, our public protector is under sustained attack from multiple quarters of society, both civic, both public, both private. And um, are these attacks on her justified? Well, I don't know, and I think it's something that needs to be examined. When uh, the Honourable Tuli Madunsela, um, as head of the, of the public protector's office, the predecessor to our current public protector was investigating the Guptas just prior to her losing office. She had all the support in the world from different corners for this so-called investigation into state capture. And um, people were calling on her to expose all of those in both the public and private sector that had been tarnished by this um, scandal, one of the biggest scandals to ever hit our country. In fact, the biggest scandal to have hit our country in the last 25 years had been state capture. What was strange, however, is that that particular um, investigation was, was commissioned just a few months before her leaving office and she was able to complete it in time for leaving office. Unlike the SIEX report, which was an investigation into apartheid state capture from the late 1980s, late 1990s, where she had been instructed to investigate um, many, many years before her leaving office, and that report, strangely enough, wasn't ready when she left office. So now I'm going to ask you this. Is it hypocritical that now that she has subpoenaed information pertaining to Basasa and the president's son is linked to Basasa due to claims of, of irregular um, donations being made to his father's um, presidential campaign – ...during the NASRIC um, National Elective Conference of, of, the, of the ANC some one and a half years ago. Is it now selective that she's now been targeted? Um, is it selective that she's been targeted because she wants to get to the bottom of the whole SARS rogue unit um, saga? When one looks at the SARS rogue unit saga, there is still the Sekakane um panel report that's in existence. However, Kruen has withdrawn his support of Sekakane. Um, KPMG have publicly apologized and refunded money that they were paid to investigate the so called SARS rogue unit. But as it stands right now, there's three members um uh, of, 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 of the public service or ex-members of the public service who are currently standing trial and who will be back in court later this year for allegations that are linked to the so-called rogue unit, linked to so-called, um, illegal bugging of the NPA, um, in particular Vusi Piccoli's office, um, in an, in an incident known as Project Sunday Evenings. So, I'm, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss to understand. Are we attacking the public protector because of who she is investigating? Are we attacking her because of what she's investigating? Or is she attacked because she's not capable of holding office? All of these questions need to be answered. But most importantly, Going back to the whole SARS rogue unit saga, we've said this on the show many, many times before. One cannot rely on Sekakani, on Kruen, on KPMG, or in this particular instance down in the Public Protector's Office. What we do need is an open, transparent commission of inquiry, much as the same as we've seen in terms of the PIC inquiry, much as, this, as, as we've seen with the Zondo Commission of Inquiry into state capture. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of High fm or its employees.
0: You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High fm
1: You're Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. It is the 17th of June. Here in Johannesburg, it is freezing. And it would be remiss of me um, not to remind you as our listeners that there are people out there who are far less fortunate than what we are. If you have spare clothing, if you have perhaps spare blankets, put in your car. You never know who you may pass on the road who may just need something to keep them warm. And think about those that are out there during this very cold spell that we're going through. Today we're chatting about taking charge of fraud, financial and organized crimes in the digital age and joining me in the studio is Clive Gangadu and Nick Nkorsi and yes I have been practicing how to pronounce Gangadu. Clive
2: welcome to the show. Thanks you, Chad, and to you, uh, Khai FM, as well as your listeners for having us today.
3: Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad, and I hope you can pronounce my surname.
1: <laughs> Nick and Corsi. Uh, I'm not gonna forget how to pronounce Nick and Korsi. uh, not that unique in South Africa. Uh, Bayete and Corsi. Thank
3: you.
1: Okay, well. Nick and uh, Clive are the founders of Customer Fraud Solutions. It's an organization that's involved both proactively and reactively in combating fraud and financial crimes. In most organizations. That's quite a mouthful. So I'm going to go to Clive first. I'm going to say, Clive, give us a brief understanding. What do we mean by taking control of, of, of fraud in the, the context of financial and organized crime in, in one's
2: business environment? So I think, Chad, the first way to start to think in fraud is to take ownership um, and having a culture of awareness. So you've got to be risk-engaged and risk-informed about the real threats. Um, where we see fraud really being taken charge of is at the tail end, once it becomes an investigative matter. Uh, where we've practiced this in the private sector was to look at building a framework to look at both preventative strategies as well as response strategies and taking charge of financial crime. And with the Digital age, we find it much more easier to move fraud uh, and funds across border, across jurisdictions, and by the time it becomes an investigative matter, it's too late. Uh, so what we find working with organizations is really understanding the breadth and depth of cross-industry financial crimes and organized crimes, the way it's been perpetrated, getting a handle of that, and really building a framework to adopt that holistically. It's all fair and well that people
1: begin organizations and they come in wanting to be proactive, wanting to be reactive, wanting to have a a solution to this. But I think it's it's important to understand the people behind the product. Nick, what is your background with regards to this particular space?
3: Uh, Thanks, Chad. Uh, I personally am a certified uh, fraud examiner. I've been a fraud fighter now for the past seven years. Uh, I'm, I'm a very active Participant in in the industry of fraud I'm, I'm plugged into the community in terms of uh, the investigations themselves I'm plugged in in terms of testifying in court so for me personally uh, fraud is is a very big problem that we need to deal with and enhance the space that i'm operating in and Clive,
1: your background in this very
2: interesting but fast growing space. So it's interesting, Chad, during 23 years in corporate, uh, I've always continuously developed a strong passion for innovation in technology and emerging payments, and with that, understanding the associated risks, particularly fraud and financial crimes. Um, so on the one end, it's dabbling with the latest advances in technologies and the technicalities thereon, and the other end is really to translate into business speak from a risk and finance perspective. And with the advances in technology today, we see that not only is it a convenience platform for customers, the end consumer to conduct transactions, and we see with online retailers, internet banking, but it's become a platform and a haven for fraudsters to target the unassuming uh, consumer, um, and this has become a world endemic. Uh, My passion and interest on this, and hence the birth of Customer Fraud Solutions, was to create a platform and partnership model to work with like-minded individuals to fight and do our bit in uh, fighting fraud and corruption, not only in South Africa but across the African continent um, uh, and globally as well. I mean, this is analogous to the state capture. If you rewind a few chapters back and understand that five years on, uh, investigations continuing, we still don't see any action from law enforcement or even prosecution from that matter. Whether or not the bank systems or fraud or compliance environments alerted on, on the, the acts earlier on, there's just not enough capacity for law enforcement or prosecutions to work on this after the fact. So by sharing data and combining this between public and private sectors, we find that uh, this becomes a more consortium module to take into account of what's happening, the early warning indicators around fraud and corruption, before it becomes an investigative matter to recover. Um, and we see uh, professional bodies internationally and local, uh, locally as well, the likes of PASA and SEBI that provides a platform for us to continue with that. Um, so fraud looks at not only the Uh, technology capabilities, but also the holistic partnership model uh, to identify in its tracks what's happening to take charge of it before it becomes um, a case.
1: We're talking taking charge of fraud, financial and organized crimes in the digital age. When we come back, we're going to be talking more about how Customer Fraud Solutions aims to tackle this head on.
0: You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High fm I'm in studio with
1: Clive Gangadu and Nick Corsi chatting about taking charge of fraud, financial and organized crimes in the digital age and an organization that they've co-founded called Customer Fraud Solutions. What a lot of you may be unaware of is just how big the fraud situation has become, not just locally but as a worldwide phenomenon. And when I talk about a phenomenon, obviously I'm talking in the negative sense of the word. And that obviously is through the growth of the internet, through the growth of cybercrime, and the fact that we now regard it as an international village. It is so easy to communicate via Skype, via WhatsApp, via Telegram, via email that fraudsters are now targeting people worldwide. South Africa, up until the mid-1990s, the biggest employer was that of the mining sector. Following a democracy and a change in the world's attitude towards precious minerals, etc., the private security industry became the biggest single employer in South Africa after the public sector. They replaced mining and is currently is currently the industry that employs more people to fight crime than the police, the army, and correctional services combined. What a lot of people are also unaware of is that CIRA, which is the regulatory body, the biggest regulatory body in South Africa, established as an act of parliament, also governs private investigations and independent investigations. So I'd like to ask you with your... CFE, Nick. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there's a lot of people who are now interested in becoming certified fraud examiners, who are interested in fighting fraud? And do you think, as 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 a second part of that question, they themselves understand the scope of fraud and how varied it has become in South Africa?
3: Um, Chad, I, I do believe there is a growing interest in in people wanting to become uh, certified but the, the interest, I think, is also increasing along with, with the fraud trends that we're picking up. So the more fraudsters that are coming out from wherever that these people hide, we see more people wanting to come out and be preventative agents of, of, of this crime. So in, in terms of, of, of them understanding, I, I think this it, it is important for them to, to affiliate to bodies such as the CFE and the ICFP so that they can be equipped with the necessary knowledge, the skills, and the techniques to, 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 to combat fraud. So with that growing interest, I think we're moving in a very positive direction and we should have a handle of this problem.
1: Clive, we're talking in very broad terms about an increase in fraud and financial crimes. Can you be more specific for us? Coming from corporate, coming from one of the two biggest... Um, credit management organizations in the world. Can you give our listeners an insight as into what fraud can impact on them directly and what fraud is on the rise in South Africa? Sure.
2: Um, so just let's te- take a step back in terms of the state of fraud in organizations thereof in in the private sector. So traditionally, uh, fraud in other risk functions were – treated in isolated pockets, or slotted into historically federated and disconnected business models. Um, this not only applies to South Africa, but globally as well. And this is where the frauds really thrive on the organizations, is very disconnectedness, as they target organizations at large and not a particular business unit, product, or channel. Uh, let's put this into perspective. Um, you have a team managing card fraud um, in an organization, independent or unaware of the activities associated, whether connected or not to, the application fraud space, you know, applying for loans in the banks uh, fraudulently or in the transaction fraud space or even in the digital channel space. Um, and for that matter, in the compliance functions or money laundering and surveillance, um, anti-bribery and corruption, tax evasion, as well as what's happening in the field, you know, in terms of forensics and the like, all under the same organization. Um, if you look at it by way of a scenario, uh, on some typical fraud trends, you would get fraudsters uh, that would scam a customer from bank A, um, and transfers the illicit money to a transaction account in Bank B. Now, a customer in Bank A would have been defrauded, or the bank itself, through various schemes and scams, like investment schemes or change of banking details for that money meant to you know, be gone through a supplier, but ends up in the transactional account. The transactional account in Bank B would, of course, be open for fraudulent purposes, uh, which we know as a mule account. And at this point, they use a transactional account for KYC and credit scoring to get access to other facilities in the bank, uh, credit cards, secured and unsecured lending. Using the credit card facility, they would then deposit fraudulent checks into the credit card account uh, for washing checks, uh, but also exhausting the credit limit that's been associated with that, with that facility. They would do this typically at casinos. Um, it's easy access to cash, quickly on demand, um, anonymously in most cases. With collusion at uh, with staff and then they would register this credit card and transactional account to various online channels which is available to us now in the digital society uh, to move money cross-border purchase foreign foreign currency or even digital cash in the form of Bitcoin so we can we see this constant layering and hiding of proceeds of crime from origination to destination unbeknownst to the bank unbeknownst to the customer purely because of this disconnectedness um, And what happens then is that we don't understand what's happening in terms of the internal uh, indicators of fraud within the organization from a collusion perspective within the procurement departments, but also then externally with customers being duped with low-tech schemes and scams. Um, And with the ubiquitous world of payments and faster moving of money, the efficient platforms created online, money is gone. And it's very, very difficult to try and recoup and recover this money in the digital age.
1: Nick, let's call a spade a spade. In your personal opinion, is the state currently equipped to fight the increase in cyber-related financial crime?
3: Chad, I don't think so. Uh, and, and that's where entities like Customer Fraud uh, Solutions come in. I think uh, in terms of, of infrastructure alone, we still have people who don't have access to Internet. We still have police officers who who don't even know how to register a, a cyber case. So, so in terms of, of of being equipped to to fight uh, cybercrime, and I, I think we are far from where we need to be, and 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 that's why we we really have have come into the market to to create partnerships that will equip the people that we partner with, be it clients or the state themselves, with with the necessary skills and the tools and the platform to source information on 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 how best to address the challenges that they come faced with. And Nick, your, your skill set, is it more towards preventing fraud
1: or to investigate fraud from a reactive perspective?
3: And again, thank you, Chad. This is now where we as customer fraud solution uh, stand out in, in terms of, of market placement in that our skill set is, is more holistic in terms of preventative and reactive. So w- we can put into place measures and, and policies that can detect, prevent and handle uh, fraud before it even uh, goes over the fence, but should it go over the fence, we do also have the skill sets to to investigate and really get to the bottom of what happened
1: we're talking to two executives from customer fraud solutions when we come back from this break we're going to chat to them more about the functions of customer
0: fraud solutions
1: and what space they see themselves fitting in
0: you 're listening to the confidential brief with Chad Thomas on high FM. We're talking about taking charge of fraud,
1: financial and organized crimes in the digital age. And a little bit later in the show, I'm going to touch more on the digital age, specifically with regards to you, the listener, how digital fraud impacts on you, whether it's through the traditional 419 scam, all the way up to the more sophisticated scams of identity theft that are taking place. Clive, tell us more about um, Customer Fraud Solutions, CFS. Why the need for such an organization?
2: So firstly, the CFS difference is that we've in technology agnostic, right? So uh, we help clients uh, by providing an independent review of the fraud organization uh, with no affiliation to any product uh, or, or tech behind that. We help organizations build entire fraud, financial crimes, and risk functions from the ground up while setting the tone from the top down. And as Nick mentioned, we look at internal and external fraud as well as forensics, so we cover the full value chain. You know, clients can talk, contact us when they experience a fraud event, so after the fact, and want to prevent the recurrence of that, or experiencing fraud in flight and want to know how to treat and size this fraud uh, for, for better preventative strategies going forward and even before the fact by setting up an entire department from, from the end. Uh, from the onset. So so Nick and I bring in a combined 30 years of experience, you know, uh, working in a, a business role, managing fraud risk firsthand. So we understand the real challenges and complexities from a client perspective. Um, and with that, we apply a business hat in what we call uh, mapping out a bespoke customer fraud solutions blueprint that would meet the organization's unique needs, uh, the size of the organization, the market they operate in, as well as the risks that they face. So totally unbiased but bringing in a collective expertise on how do you set up the function It is a systematic approach. We find um, in our experience working particularly from my angle from a private sector and combined with Nix area from state-owned enterprises – Fraud is always treated as a nerd, knee-jerk reaction or a side desk job. It's never been created as an organizational function where everyone is an agent in fighting fraud, and we aim to connect the dots on that. Um, we have a unique capability of providing solution offerings from the ground up whilst also looking at more responsive methods when it comes to f- the dealing with forensics from a, an accounting perspective or digital perspective with a proliferance of uh, digital crimes in uh, computer and security events or vulnerabilities thereof. But are we then connect the dots to have a holistic approach of, of fraud, financial and organized crimes holistically within an organization? Also, what we'd like to do is to combine the intelligence between the public and and private enterprises by combining this data intelligence to take a more predictive approach and preventative approach to to dealing fraud and and, and crime. As we know, reactively, it really doesn't bring the bad actors to book. And we see organizations globally like CIFAS in the UK, the Fraud Action Group and the like, is really bringing bold steps to stopping crime before it actually becomes a matter thereafter. Uh, so bringing in this combined value of of value chain of fraud um, across the ecosystem and the role players involved in fraud uh, nick and i have booked out a service catalog that would help build these functions from the ground up as well as map out the capability that they need from a tech perspective a people perspective um, a process perspective as well as from a data perspective
3: nick
1: you come from from a state owned entity background so you understand the functionings in terms of the public finance management act etc we always say that um, public sector fraudsters and private sector fraudsters have a symbiotic relationship, and that is the plunder of the public purse. Government is by far the single biggest employer of contractors, the biggest single employer of services in the country, which is why they become such a target for organizations to defraud them. We've heard testimony about Busasa at the um at the at the at the state capture commission, we've heard talk about the Gupta capture, um, and we've seen a public protector's report regarding that. Going forward, after twenty five years of democracy and seeing the plunder that's taken place, um, not just during these twenty five years but before as well, if one has to read the SIAX report. In your opinion, what do we need to do to change this culture of people acting together to plunder the public purse? Uh,
3: so. This is where particularly we as CFS come in. We want to create a partnership with, with the people who we engage with, and, and we think that is the best way to, to, to address and deal with fraud, in creating partnerships with uh, industry participants and, and, and the state-owned entities. So what, what we feel needs to happen is that these contractors, these contractors that are being employed by the government need to have a skill transfer to the government themselves to prevent reoccurrence of these things. So as, as CFS, we believe should we come in, for instance, into an SOC We partner with them We grow with them So we analyze and grow with them So when we leave we, They're not as exposed as they were previously Now they're more equipped to deal with the fraud We've built the infrastructure from the ground up We've taught them how to investigate And we've plugged them into the network Of, of experts and resources That are out there in the market So the best approach, Chad Is is to to really collaborate We cannot exist in silos anymore Fraud is sophisticated, is getting sophisticated with each passing day. And as such, we also need to sophisticate the manner in which we address it. And the only way to do that is to collaborate and really be plugged in and, and benefit from each other's knowledge.
1: Nick, we have criminal legislation in place. Um, to try to prevent corruption in South Africa, it's PRECA, the Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Activities um, Act. Um, in America, they have what's known as the the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. And and now there's a new thing with regards to ethics. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about ethics, signing an ethics pledge, and companies showing transparency to show that they're acting in an ethical and moral way. In obtaining contracts, specifically in the public sector, do you think this is going to work?
3: I, I do think it's a step in the right direction. I think, particularly in relation to the transparency of, of of how the contracts need to how everything needs to be done. So, in terms of ethics, it's it's a very critical thing for for any organisation to have. I think we need to embed that in the culture of, of the organisations themselves. So, if we have the organisation acting and appearing to be ethical, and that then gets cascaded uh, to the employees themselves, I think then that is the only way or a step in the direction of addressing the issues if we have people within the organization acting ethically and the organization itself appearing and acting ethically as well.
1: I think South Africa has had a major problem from the public sector in communicating to the public at large um, the responsibility of the public in reporting fraud, reporting corruption, and and who is at fault. And when we come back, I think it's it's very important that we talk about that communication. We're going to take a break now. It's the last day of the long weekend, and I couldn't think of a better song to celebrate this long weekend, and especially to celebrate the youth of 1976 than Um And I hope I said the right. It's cold enough. I should be doing it naturally. But Brenda Fassi's great
0: weekend special. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM.
1: We're talking about taking charge of fraud, financial and organized crimes, in the digital age The digital age is It's its, it's very—it's it's a widespread term to use But I'm sure all of you Can relate to receiving an email In the old days of facts Perhaps from a very wealthy prince In West Africa Who for some unbeknown reasons has Chosen you to share his untold wealth with But of course it comes at a fee You need to pay for that money To be delivered to the country You need to pay for it to be released from customs And that typically is how most South Africans have been Exposed to what we refer to as digital or cyber crime now of course in south africa there is a massive growth in identity theft and other cyber related crimes some of which clive touched on earlier but clive if we don't look from an organization perspective but rather from a personal perspective what kind of crimes should the, the public be aware of that specifically setting out to target them to try separate them from their hard-earned money
2: so Chad, um I think it's just awareness that frauds are out there to to get their hands on money in the quickest way possible and with the digital age and everyone being connected on social media uh having utilities to make payments on internet banking or mobile apps Fraudsters will find a way to dupe customers to getting access of their credentials, to simply log on to their bank account and transfer money unbeknownst to them. Uh, phishing has been by far the most prolific form of, of method, uh, to scheme customers out of that. We are in a clickable society, right? So fraudsters will find ways and means to create a, uh, a communique that's bespoke, uh, for that customer or interest that customer. The customer will then click on that link. Behind that link on the attachment, there is um, malicious software known as malware that gets injected into the client's or consumer's computer or mobile device, and unbeknownst captures all of those details. So my advice to the consumer is to take much more proactive stance on being aware that these crimes are out there. Um, you know, safeguard your uh, your computer, your PC, your your mobile device with anti-fraud and anti-malware uh, uh, tools. Uh, change your passwords um, periodically and have strong passwords, not the name of your dog, your cat, your aunt, someone that could be, you know, picked up through social media. Um, and also, um, uh, ensure that you follow the bank's protocols when, uh, safeguarding your credentials, uh, and being aware of the type of frauds. Banks do send, um, a lot of communication out in terms of tips to prevent fraud. Uh, But in some cases, we see petty crime, not just on the digital side of things. For example, fraudsters uh, colluding around ATMs and actually scheming customers off their cards and shoulder-surfing their pin to commit crimes. And Nick talked about the public and private partnerships, and I think this is very important for us to, uh, as a global consortium, uh, and the likes of Sebrick, Pasa, and the banks and and the public sectors to combine this data and intelligence to identify those hotspots so that we can create more awareness of the hotspots but work with law enforcement to bring those bad actors to book. I think by showing an example that you bring this bad ex- actors to book, it becomes a deterrent, um, as well for, for these, for these fraudsters to be within, um, Within their rights of, of defrauding customers, Nick, we spoke earlier about the challenges that are that are faced by
1: the every man every man on the street when he wants to report a crime. There's infrastructure, there's logistical issues at police station level, um, perhaps the person standing at the charge office is unaware of what a cyber crime is, a digital crime is, etc. That being said, however. Um, There's certain reporting mechanisms in place that compel companies to report fraud that's taken place, etc. And I've come across many companies that are unaware of these mechanisms. For example, there's a reporting mechanism known as Section 34 of PRECA, where a company that suffered a loss through fraud, through corruption, etc., is compelled to report it. Failure to to report it constitutes an offence. It's the same as if somebody um, owes SARS money, were um, unaware of that particular um, instance that they owed money, and SARS says, well, sorry for you, ignorance of the law is not a defense. Why do you think the public at large are, are unaware of reporting mechanisms where they're compelled to report certain frauds and 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 corruption that have taken place. Is it the fault of the state for not communicating it, or is it necessary for people who are in a fraud and compliance um, position to know about these different reporting mechanisms?
3: Chad, I think this is this is twofold. I, I think one, the state, as I alluded to earlier, is 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 not equipped to to reach every man in in South Africa. And this is through challenges such as infrastructure that I alluded to in terms of other people not being connected. Some people don't even have access to internet. Some people are still struggling to with, with transport. So I think that the infrastructure limitation is one problem. And I think number two, in terms of of the culture of reporting fraud and crime, it's it's not so it's not out there with the people. And by that I mean, it's it's the, the advertising. By, by the state and and by the, the the professionals, it it doesn't reach the people the way it should be, you know. It's it's still it's still still a bad thing. It's still seen as a bad thing to report a crime if you witness it in certain parts of the country. They'll still say if if, and I'll use a colloquial term called a snitch. They'll still regard you as a snitch. So I think for us, more importantly, is how do we brand as much as we can. Inform the people. How do we brand it such that we, we, we make sure and show them that is, it, it is in their best interest to report these, these 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 crimes and these frauds? So I think then if we address the problem in terms of do we reach them? Yes, we reach them. And when we reach them, how do we make it so, such that they see that it's in their self-interest to report the crimes and the frauds?
1: We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to chat to Clive about how it is that we educate the public at large regarding these issues of reporting and what is available to them in the fight against fraud and corruption in South Africa.
0: You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High fm I'm
1: chatting to Nick and Corsi and Clive Gangadu from Customer Fraud Solutions regarding taking charge of fraud, financial and organized crimes in the digital age. Before we went to break, I mentioned I want to ask Clive um, why it is that certain organizations are unaware of their responsibilities in reporting fraud and corruption to various different organisations, you've got various sectoral regulatory bodies, um, such as the financial sector conduct authority, the old FSB. Of course, if a lawyer has acted in an improper manner, you now have the legal practice council, used to be the law societies. But there seems to be, for me, a a, a perception that. Organizations don't know who they have to report things to.
2: Why is this, Clive, and what are we going to do to combat this? So, Chad, firstly, um, organizations should have internal champions within their structures to manage fraud and compliance and risk for that other matters. Um, and, A, they should be knowledgeable about this. And if not, they should be baking that into the career development plan so that they take charge of fraud, financial, and organized crimes internally before the reporting does happen. Um, number one is to follow due diligence, uh, under show, uh, understanding the level of regulatory obligations that needs to, uh, be in place within an organization to report, uh, fraud and, and other financial crimes, uh, timeless, uh, timelessly. Uh, we do know you have the reactive compliance functions, which does all of the sort of suspicious transaction reports to the FIC. You have your PRECA reports, your Section 205s, once it becomes a matter after the fact. But I believe that, and we talked about disconnectedness uh, earlier on, if we link the internal fraud and compliance cases with those SDRs, uh, PRECA reports and Section 205s um, at, a, at a national level, And using technology to enable that linkage, we'll be able to bring this crime syndicates to surface and connect the dots with that. But more importantly is to join the ecosystem of role players in fighting crime. So you've got your compliance people sitting in isolation from your forensics teams. You've got your data scientists working on fraud models and algorithms managing the technology side of things that are independent of the fraud awareness or prevention staff. What we believe um, as, as CFS is to bring that community together, understanding the legal system in South Africa, the different lo- role players between public and private partnerships, and the level of reporting that needs to take place, and how to use the digital platforms to report that, but also then connect the links uh, between internal and external fraud in a much more um, visible matter that you could leverage on partnerships to take that forward. Uh, so in that light, we've developed a unique two-day seminar that really teachers' incumbents um, around how do you take charge of fraud and financial crimes within the organization. So starting with after the fact, we talk about uh, the real challenges with investigations, um, the role players in public and private, the SA legislature. We talk to some case studies. During the fact when fraud is happening, we talk about those indicators of fraud in financial crimes. People in those functions should be knowing what the indicators of fraud in financial crimes are or looks like. Uh, The red earrings, the red flags, the early warning indicators. How do you size, prevent, and treat those? And how do you inform your controls where there's a breach in control to become more proactive? Then on the proactive side of things, we look at setting up a fraud strategy. Uh, a fraud framework, a holistic approach to taking charge of this. It has to be a systematic approach. It can't be a side desk, one-off job. Uh, looking at setting up the right capability in terms of process, technology, people, and data as well. So you have this carried out, and as well as um, how do you predict and deter this before it becomes um, a, a fraud after the fact? So it's connecting the dot, the dots across the ecosystem, but also educating and empowering. The people in organisations that are responsible for this role to be empowered with the right insights and tools to take charge of their organisations, and what we find is that there's not enough weight behind this. Um, and with this educational seminar, bringing their tools on hand is really to to bring that ecosystem together in fighting fraud. I want to come
1: back to the seminar just now. Perhaps you'll be able to tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you to find out how they can perhaps host a seminar at their organization or whether you're planning bigger such seminars. But I want to go back to you, Nick. Nick, you said something very interesting earlier. You spoke about the colloquial term of snitch. South Africa, we talk about the legacy of apartheid with regards to impimpies. Um, It's very difficult for people to talk about a crime they know that's been perpetrated within an organization they may work or somebody that's a relative that may have committed such a fraud. What do you believe is a way to guarantee that anonymity and how would you go forward in enabling people, members of the public, people from a company, et cetera, to be able to report on on instances of fraud and corruption that they have knowledge of?
3: Chad, we've seen through experience that the best way to, to keep the anonymity of, of, of a reporter of a fraud or a crime is, especially in terms of the, the professional landscape is, is the establishment of a fraud line. What this does is that it allows people to call in and to report crimes or fraud that they've witnessed in the company. So we as customer fraud solutions have have done an assessment, and we've seen that as much as there are are fraud lines that are set up, often they are meant as a tick box for for compliance, to say we have a fraud line tick. But what we want to do, and, and, and this is where now we say we want to create strategic partnerships. So we want fraud lines that actually work. So fraud lines where someone calls in, and after their matter is investigated and is done, they get feedback to say, look, this is what you reported, and this is the, f- the feedback. What that does, it, it creates a culture of accountability, but it also encourages people to report more in that knowing that what you report gets dealt with is, is also an impetus to say, guys, and, and word of mouth is the best day to say, I, I witnessed something and, and I reported and, and this was the outcome. So more than just having uh, a, a platform to report the fraud, it's important that the companies and the industries are equipped with the measures to deal with what was reported.
1: Clive, you mentioned two things earlier that I'm taking away from this. Firstly, you mentioned champions within an organization. Um, not all of us are as fait with with corporate jargon, but I, I'm assuming you're talking about people who have been appointed within positions of compliance, fraud awareness, etc. So taking these champions from these organizations and taking um, – the, the Customer Fraud Solution seminar and putting them together, what are those champions going to be able to take back to their respective organizations in terms of fraud prevention, fraud awareness, and what to do should their organization become victims of fraud?
2: Sure, exactly that, Chad. Um, uh, the the whole intent is to bring uh, the industry cohorts or uh, risk officers within organizations to be part of the seminar to understand a, how to identify financial crimes earlier on, and if it has happened already, how to report it, who to report it to, um, and obligations there are from the organization, but also then how to turn those insights into controls, preventative controls, um, uh, from the onset, um, so that you prevent a recurrence of this. But also more importantly is to, to take ownership of this. And, and Nick mentioned this earlier on, you know, so much as to follow process, you've got to set and imbibe a culture of, uh, preventing fraud and corruption within an organization. And that's an approach that needs to be set from the top down and whilst there is promise um, and recourse from the bottom up to understand and take ownership of that. Uh, there's a holistic framework that we talk about in terms of governance and strategy, creating the synergies between, and I'll talk again, corporate first line, second line, and third line of defense. So you have the business owners that will create these new products and channels like internet banking, for example. What are the compliance uh, factors or risk factors underneath that it needs to be taken care of by these risk officers or risk compliance officers? They need to know that. They need to know within their industry cohort who are the players in that uh, within the public sector, when do they need to report this, and also then to become a trusted advisor to those businesses that are taking ownership of this risk. You then have a second line of defense in your your banking environments or your other financial services organization that are there to provide the necessary tools and governance to manage fraud risk more responsibly, more systematically, and also leverage of the industry bodies to manage that. You then have third line of defense, which is your internal audit, and there should be a clear line of synergies between First line, second line, and third line. So what the seminars really looks to bring is to translate the technical jargon and the complexities of this disconnected courses where uh, a group of forensics teams would only run a CFE course or a group of risk officers will run a um, operational risk awareness um, uh, a seminar or your data scientists learning how to write fraud rules, models, and algorithms to predict fraud. What we want to do is to bring these industry players together to understand the effects of fraud and financial crimes across the ecosystem and how they can work together to avoid duplication and rework and to be much more on the ball to fighting fraud, corruption, and other organized crimes proactively. Time is catching up with us. We're going to take our final break of the day.
1: When we come back, I'm going to ask Nikki's opinion on where we're going to as a country in terms of fighting fraud and corruption. And Clive's going to tell us more about how we can contact Customer Fraud Solution.
0: You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're about
1: to wrap up our conversation with uh, Clive Gangadu and Nick and Corsi from Customer Fraud Solutions. But before we do, Nick, I'd like to ask you, in, in view of um, these commission of inquiries that uh, are now in place, in view of a new head of, of the National Directorate of Public Prosecutions, in terms of the new head of the Hawks, the police, etc., do you think we as a country are beginning to turn a corner in regards to the fighting of fraud and corruption?
3: Chad, I do think we are turning a corner. We are seeing uh, more progression in terms of, of of fighting fraud and corruption. And it's, it's being made public that, look, as a country, we will not tolerate this. My only hope is that it doesn't end with the commission. We actually see some prosec- prosecutions happening. So uh, Cyril said we must watch this space in terms of his appointment of Shamila batoy And we we, we we really hope to see... Deterrence in terms of actually prosecuting these people and putting them behind bars to, to really solidify the stance that we will not tolerate fraud.
1: Clive, in two minutes, describe to us the importance of knowledge in fighting fraud and corruption and why you believe the customer fraud solutions seminars is a means to an end in the fight against fraud and
2: corruption. In most cases and not shared, uh, you know, working with industry cohorts, we assume that uh, organizations are fully equipped or the representatives within organizations like those risk officers are fully aware on how to manage this. Um, and it's not the case. So we found that there is a niche need for this to educate uh, the risk officers across the value chain and empowering them with the right pragmatic insights and tools. A lot of this is brain dump, and it's not actionable. It's not pragmatic. So we've developed this unique two-day seminar to really distill all of the key uh, artifacts, key knowledge points, the key action points that any risk officer in any organization working in this ecosystem that needs to be equipped with in terms of how do you take charge of fraud, financial, and organized crimes within the organization. But in this digital age where customer fraud solutions really play in is how do you connect the dots digitally? So it becomes much more predictive uh, using data and technology to your advantage within the ecosystem? How do you breach the gap between your fraud functions, your compliance functions, your forensics functions, uh, your, your third line of defense from an audit perspective? How do you create that Ownership and awareness from the top down uh, with the underpinning capabilities in terms of and process. And this is where we've developed the seminar to really uh, leave the incumbents to not only go and build a, a, an industry of cohorts, but really to feel empowered and knowledge, knowledgeable and confident when they go back into the office or into the organization. They have the real tools and insights to take charge of the real plight of, of fraud and corruption, not only in the organization, but uh, in the country as well. How do our listeners get in touch with your organization? Sure, we can get access to our website on www. CustomerFraudSolutions.com. Um, on the website, you'll see a full range of our bespoke solution offerings, um, our service catalogue, and some of the case studies, as well as the seminars. For more information, um, and please feel free to reach out to us on our contact us page, where we will get access to you, uh, your detail and uh, make further con- uh, contact. Him. And telephonic conversation is welcomed uh, thereafter. Uh, but we really, really want to play our part in um, fighting the scourge of fraud and corruption in in the country. CustomerFraudSolutions.com you can't go short with that, but
1: we will be uploading it um, on our social media pages so that you can also get in contact with the Customer Fraud Solutions team and discuss perhaps something engineered specifically for your organization as well as find out more about the seminars. Nick and Corsi, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you, Chad, for having me.
1: And Clive Gangadu, thank you for making me practice your surname
2: time and time again. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, thanks, Chad. Once again to yourself, Chai uh, family, your listeners, for having us today. You've been listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas.
1: Next week, same time, same place, we're going to be talking to Civic Society about the launch of a new organization in honor of the late Joe Slovo, which aims at addressing poverty, crime, and other related issues.